0: All right, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host Jordan Reed, alongside co-host Jonah Tools. Jonah, how's everything going today?
1: Man, it's going good, Jordan. I'm ready. You know, I'm ready to discuss some of the NFL topics. We've had some major NFL news in the past 24 hours, so I just want to dive right into it, man.
0: So I'm so glad we didn't record earlier than what we normally do, just because there's been a bunch of happenings around the league. Jalen Ramsey, of course, that's the big news of the night, being traded for two first round picks and a fourth round pick, I believe it was, to the L.A. Rams. And this really came out of nowhere, even though Jalen Ramsey, he had a bit of a phantom back injury that a lot of people have been labeling as And we really didn't know if we ever were going to see him suit up for the Jaguars again. It turns out it did happen that way. He never played another down for the Jaguars. And this is a bit of an interesting situation just because everyone knows how good Jalen Ramsey is. And it was a bit weird just because they just put a keep to leave on injured reserve. And then they traded Marcus Peters out of nowhere. And this is a team that has really struggled in the secondary and on defense in general. And everybody was like, man, who is going to play corner?" For this team just because they didn't have anybody left and then out of nowhere Adam Schefter tweets it finally happened Jalen Ramsey was traded to the LA Rams so before I go into it I want to get your overall thoughts on this trade
1: yeah and I, I mean this is obviously the big news of the day and I, like I said earlier I'm glad we recorded this late because we would have missed this whole thing and there are only a few teams that can afford a move like this, right? Where you trade basically your next two years of draft capital for a, an established player like this. And the Rams are one of those teams, right? Because you expect those, you expect that team to be in the twenties and thirties of the draft slot every year. Um, they're a team that's going to be in always in Super Bowl contention. And this is a, I mean, you mentioned earlier, I mean, without Marcus Peters and a keep to leave, no, I don't know who's gonna play cornerback for this team. This is a massive upgrade. Um, and, Jalen Ramsey, you know, 24 years old, multiple-time All-Pro, probably the best young cornerback in football, if not the best NFL cornerback. Um, th- this, is, this is totally worth it for the Rams. I mean, th- this is one of those things where you have to make that move for the Rams you, if you want to get back in contention. Because obviously the Achilles heel for the Rams so far has been their defense, right? Their defense has been terrible. I mean, but now, you look at, and especially their secondary. But now you add a guy like Jalen Ramsey to that core and you have him for, you know, the next five, six years, Man, that is a big move, and I think it's totally worth it to kind of to give up that much capital. I know a lot of people say that's a lot, but when, when you get a player like Jalen Ramsey, it's 100% worth it. And it's a good trade for the Jaguars, too. I mean, Jalen Ramsey was not going to be there long-term, and you get a good haul back. I understand the Rams are going to be in that 20 to 30 range, but still, that's going to hasten your draft your, your rebuild process a lot. So I, I, getting those two firsts and the fourth. That's going to be a big deal for the Jaguars, and it's obviously it's a big deal for the Rams. I think it's a win-win trade for all sides. And, of course, for Jalen Ramsey, it's a win, too, because Jalen Ramsey, he's always wanted to play for a Super Bowl contender, and now he gets that. So I think it's a win for all parties around. So, I mean, big news, but, I mean, uh, I th- like I said earlier, I think this is a win-win-win for all parties involved.
0: So I think it's a bit of a slippery slope with this trade just because everyone knew that he was disgruntled, and he really didn't want to be there anymore just because – I don't want to speak wrong about this just because I wasn't in that situation. I'm not in the building or anything like that. But everyone's saying that he quit on this team, and that's. I think that's kind of harsh. And I don't think he necessarily did that. But I think he just got tired of being there just because he wanted his money. Everyone knows what he pulled up in with the Brinks truck to training camp. And he's a bit extra. That's just how Jalen Ramsey is. He's a very emotional player. And he just wanted to go somewhere where he could win and also get paid. And I think he's definitely going to get paid just because you don't give up two first-round picks for a player and then you let him walk out the door immediately, even though he is uh, cost control for two more years, I believe it would, or, or I should say a year and a half. He's going to play on his fifth-year option next year. So he is cost-controlled for another year and a half, and I think they're probably going to extend him here soon. And if not here soon, it definitely is going to happen this offseason. But him and Aaron Donald on the same defense, man, that's, it's, it's hard to fathom how good that that duo could be. For that Rams defense and I think with how tough the NFC West is seeming to be this year the 49ers seem like they are the real deal we'll get into them here in a little bit also the Cardinals are looking better with Kyler Murray even though they don't have a lot of reliable options on the perimeter but Cliff Kingsbury is doing a really good job with scheming guys open and then also you have the reliable Seattle Seahawks as long as Russell Wilson is under center they're going to be a threat in some type of way. So I think it's a good trade. I like it overall. But something else I did want to touch on is that I think us as fans, I think we get caught in a bit of a trap with overvaluing draft picks. And we don't really know who both of those first round picks are going to be in that fourth round pick of 2021. And I kind of like the trade just because you take your chances of getting a Jalen Ramsey just because – I don't think it's a very likely chance that you get a top five corner with any one of those draft picks. Whether no matter where it does end up in the draft, and we we both know the draft is a crapshoot. But getting a player of Jalen Ramsey's caliber, I don't think that's very likely with any of those selections. And they would have to hit a home run with that.
1: Yeah, and I think you mentioned fans overvaluing draft picks, right? We get in that trap again, that cycle, and the same thing happened. You know, because I covered the Cowboys. Amari Cooper when he got traded the, near the trade deadline last year. A lot of people are saying that's too much for Amari Cooper. Give him a first-round pick, that's way too much. But, I mean, you look at it, Amari Cooper, at his best, is one of the five, six, seven best receivers in the National Football League. I mean, two weeks ago, he just had a 220-yard game catching the ball. So this is one of those things where I think, you know, and looking back on it, Cowboys fans, would you rather have Amari Cooper or Jonathan Abram who went there? And that's not an indictment on Jonathan Abram at all. It's just saying – when you can trade for an all-pro caliber wide receiver like that, you got to do, all, all, you know, you do it all day. And same thing with the Jaguars and the Rams. You know, when the, the Rams saw this as, do, like you said earlier, do we think we can get a player of Jalen Ramsey's caliber with those two first-round picks? And you might be able to, but like you said, the draft's an inexact science, so you can't bet on that. But what you can bet on is the established player in what is Jalen Ramsey. And the same thing happened with Amari Cooper last year with the Cowboys. And it's one of those things where I think fans always overvalue those draft picks. And, you know, it, it, the the one instance where I do think I, I don't agree with that is when the Steelers traded for Minka Fitzpatrick. I think they overvalued Minka Fitzpatrick as opposed to where the draft slot was. And that's not a dime on Minka Fitzpatrick. That's just saying that the Steelers – they had, you know, they had the potential to be one of the first teams drafting in this in this upcoming class. They had the potential to be drafting the top five or ten picks. I know they've, they've got some momentum the last couple weeks, but, you know, do you really think Devlin Hodges or when Mason Rudolph comes back, are they really going to be back in playoff contention? I don't think so. So it's just one of those things where, like, that's probably the one instance where I think you have to overvalue the draft pick there because you could be drafting your next successor to Big Ben. But in all of the cases, like, you look at, you know, whoever – Michael Bennett got traded a couple years ago. He traded for like a seventh-round pick, and he was end up becoming one of the Eagles' best players on the defensive line. So it's just one of those things where I think you have to be careful when you, we coveting those draft picks, like clutching those draft picks like pearls, right? You, you sometimes those draft picks end up becoming like the Johnny Manzels. You know, like remember the Browns, right? The Browns did a full rebuild those picks are like Phil Taylor and Brandon Whedon. Like, right. so, so you have to be careful. Like, you know, the Falcons, when they traded up for Julio Jones, it was oh, all loss too much for them. They gave up so much. What, what the, I don't think a single Brown for that trade is even on the Browns roster anymore. So you have to be careful getting that trap of overvaluing draft picks. I'm with you completely there.
0: And it's a very interesting topic to debate. And I'm interested to see exactly what happens with this whole Jalen Ramsey deal. And of course, The thing that's going to follow him forever is the Jaguars or who they selected with all three of those picks. That is always going to be compared, and we'll see if it does end up equaling the value that Jalen Ramsey does bring to the table. But moving right along, and that's my apologies to uh, the listeners. I did not give a complete preview of what we will be discussing today, of course. We are doing an NFL roundtable, and I know this is Locked On College Football, but if you listen to our very first episode in the intro, I stated that we will be discussing college football, the NFL, and also the NFL draft. So we're having a full NFL roundtable today discussing Jalen Ramsey. Are the 49ers for real? Of course, we'll get to Jonas Cowboys, and then we'll end with the tanking going on in Miami. So the next topic that we'll get to, I want to talk about, what is wrong in Dallas? I have to get your opinion on this. A team that started out red hot and they beat up on a couple of bottom dwellers. Miami was one of the teams that they did beat up on. We know what's going on there. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But Jason Garrett, Kellen Moore started out really fast. Everyone knows that Jason Garrett has been the he's been the mastermind behind this machine really the past few years or for a while now. And it just seems like it's getting kind of stale. But it's getting kind of stale to everyone but Steven and Jerry Jones. So I'm um, you're a bit closer to the situation than me. And so I want to get your opinion on this. And what do you think is going on with the Cowboys right now? And what do you think should be the solution?
1: I think it all boils down to execution, right? I mean, you look at the first three games they played, you mentioned they're bomb dwellers, right? The New York Giants, the Washington Redskins, the Miami Dolphins. I think the expectations got a little out of hand after those three games in terms of Dak Prescott MVP, Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl contenders, right? And then they kind of came back down to earth on Sunday night football against the New Orleans Saints. Then they played the Green Bay Packers and were down 31-3 to at one point, right? And then the New York Jets come to town. They, come, they go to New York, and the Jets absolutely blanket them. So it's just one of those things where I think the Cowboys, the, the expectations got out of control those first three games, so I think we need to temper those down a little bit. But at the same time, I think people blaming Jason Garrett also have to understand that Jason Garrett's not the one dropping three catchable footballs on Sunday. Jason Garrett's also not the one not getting sacks or pressure on one-on-one looks. He's also not the guy that's miss- that is missing his assignments and pass protection, right? I mean, the Cowboys have their two top tackles injured, Lyle Collins and Tyron Smith. So that plays a big part. That was the last two weeks. And Mari Cooper is out now. Michael Gallup was out the last two weeks against the Saints and the Packers. So it's a combination of different things, but I think it's overall it's execution because you look at the first three weeks, even though they're bottom dwellers, they executed those games. They did what they needed to do to win those games. Against the Saints, whether it was turnovers, Packers, same thing, getting too big of a hole early. I mean, you look at the first first cold draft of the game, if Mario Cooper doesn't drop the pass at least a Jair Alexander interception, the Cowboys go on and score on a touchdown. That should probably changed the entire momentum of that game. And the same thing with the Jets. I mean, you look at the Jets game, that, that one was filled with, Turnovers and just bad decisions from the coaching staff that led to, you know, fourth going for a fourth and two. So it's a whole combination of things from execution from both the players and coaching standpoint. But I think people just rush to blame something, right? Fans, especially, they rush to blame Jason Garrett, Kellen Moore, say, okay, what's going on? What do we need to do better? And to me, I just think you need to start. It's not just that simple. I think you need to understand that the Cowboys are a talented team, but they're just not playing up to it right now. And I think they will bounce back. But I wouldn't panic right now, but it's just one of those things where I think expectations got a little out of control for those first three games since they played arguably three of the worst teams in the National Football League. So I think it's time to just settle down, don't panic, but at the same time, let's temper down our expectations for this football team.
0: So here's my theory about the Cowboys. You know how you have a girlfriend that she treats you right even though you got treated really bad in the past from a previous ex or something like that, I think the Cowboys are scared of branching out to that new girl in hopes of never being treated like they are right now. They're so secure or so comfortable with what's behind door number one. And even though you have to constantly remind her about, you know, even though she's on the right path sometimes, she kind of gets lax at times. And then when you need her the most, she's just not there. But now when you move on or you're so scared to move on just because it's hard to explain, man, what's going on in Dallas. It's really, really hard to explain what's going on just because I just think the message has become really stale in Dallas. And I keep saying that word just because Jason Garrett just doesn't have any energy behind him. And everyone likes to call him the clapper. You just see him constantly doing that. And you saw the really disturbing clips of the players running off of the sideline. Not giving him handshakes when he was reaching out there for them. Did you see that clip?
1: Yes, and it's just one of those things where, yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off here, but it's just one of those things where I think people. And I understand your argument about Justin Garrett. I think he, the you know being the head coach for as long as he's been, I think players, you know, they, like I said, it grows stale. The message, you know, of like all right, one unity, it grows, it goes stale, especially when you start losing. And to me, I think the Dallas Cowboys. Before those games, I think people will start, you know, they start slandering the game plan and and, you know the coach is not having them ready to play. I think Jason Garrett had this team ready to play for all three of those games we just played: the Saints, Packers, and the Jets. But at the same time, those players need to come out and make plays. They paid Demarcus Lawrence to make plays, and he got one-on-one looks against the Jets and didn't make any plays. You you just paid Amari Cooper and you haven't paid actually you haven't paid Amari Cooper yet, but you just traded big draft capital for him and he's dropping a pass you know, against the Packers that led to the momentum-changing play of that whole game, which our Alexander game an interception. So he, he, pay, he paid Ezekiel Elliott, and Ezekiel Elliott is not bursting through for those big plays. In the offensive line, you also have the big injuries. So I think the players at some point need to take some of the blame for this, not just Jason Garrett. And you're right, Jason Garrett, I mean, he's been low-energy kind of guy. He doesn't really enforce that kind of culture, I think, that people think he does. And I think that's why people are starting to get a little sick of him. Um, especially Cowboys fans Um, but if you know Cowboys fans Cowboys fans will rush to blame one person for every little mistake the Cowboys do and I think Jason Garrett just continues to be that kind of guy Um, but at some point I'm not I'm no Jason Garrett defender by any means but at some point the players need to be held accountable for not making enough plays
0: I think the NFC East is definitely going to come down to Philly and Dallas I I think that's going to be without question I just don't think the Giants the Giants are better but they're just not ready to compete fully in that division to win it. And then we know the Redskins are a bottom dweller right now. They're not even in the picture. But before we move on, I want to remind the audience about DoorDash. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. When you download the DoorDash app, make sure to enter the promo code locked on. So with that being said, I want to move on to our next topic, and that is the San Francisco 49ers, a team that a lot of people had a lot of questions about coming into the year. And it's just because they haven't been able to stay healthy. And that's during the entire three-year tenure now with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, this marriage that a lot of people were really excited about, but it was a bit of a surprise hire. Not Shanahan, but Lynch, just because he didn't have any front office experience. And his first draft really started off with a bang, but it didn't end that way. With Solomon Thomas and Reuben Foster, a lot of people were saying that he got a steal in Reuben Foster, but we know how that whole entire ordeal ended up. Solomon Thomas really hasn't lived up to being the third overall selection, even though he is showing some promise now. But I think right now, I think they are one of the hottest teams in the NFL, and they built that thing up really nicely. That defensive line is outstanding, man. DeForest Buckner – Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, all of those guys together, they have some really, really good chemistry going on as well. So it's really good to see them get after teams like the Cleveland Browns and even last week winning a big game in Los Angeles as well. I think that showed some people that they have a lot of promise. And I think they've been winning despite of Jimmy Garoppolo, and that's no shot against him. I just did, I just don't think he has played extremely well up to this point, but they, are, they, they have a really good running game, and Kyle Shanahan is very creative with his play calling, and then the defensive coordinator has them playing really well right now, Uh, his name escapes me. I believe his last name is solid. He's playing, he's calling the heck of a game right now. And they showed him having a lot of energy last week in the Los Angeles Rams game. So I think they're the real deal. And this, I think this is one of the better divisions and one of the more intriguing divisions in that NFC West, just because we talked about it earlier with the Seahawks. We always know they're going to be a contender. The Rams, they're always going to be there. They're defending NFC champions. So they're always going to be there. And then, the Cardinals are better as well. So this division is very interesting. And I think, I don't want to say they could slip up and one of those teams could beat them here and there, but we know it's really going to be a bloodbath in that division. So I'm really interested to see exactly how, now that we're through the first quarter of the season, in a sense, I want to see how they do during the midway point and then during the backstretch. But are you believing the hype in the 49ers right now?
1: 100% yes. I mean, you talk about Robert Sala and – you know, what he's done to this team and to kind of re-energize his defense. He's a players coach. The players love to play for him, right? I mean, and you talk about the 49ers being the hottest, one of the hottest teams in football. I think they are the hottest team in football right now. You talk about the NFC West being one of the hottest, hottest division in football and one of the best divisions in football. I think that is the best division in football right there. Talk about the Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson playing like like an MVP candidate. Talk about the, the Los Angeles Rams. They just picked up Jalen Rams, so they're going to still be in contention. The 49ers are playing like the best team in football right now. And then Arizona Cardinals are even starting to hit their start with Kyler Murray and that Cliff Kingsbury offense. So the NFC West, is, I think, is the toughest division to play in right now. And then you look at the 49ers' success, it's in large part due to Robert Sala in this defense. Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner were all first-round picks, and lo and behold, they're playing like it. And then you got, like, you know, D. Ford's been a monster throughout the first half of the season, big signing for them. And then Fred Warner, Quan Alexander, and even rookie Dre Greenlaw have been excellent, you know, a linebacker this season so far. If you look at the two corners, you look at Richard Sherman and Akella Witherspoon, their length has given wide receivers a lot of trouble this season. And then Jaquaski tart is finally healthy. And that's been the biggest thing about him because he's one, been one of the best safeties in the league when healthy, and he's starting to finally play like it. So I'm all in on the 49ers. I think with their running game and their ability to control the ball, that, that combination of a great defense and a great running game just – you know, just gels so well at the next level. So I I really believe the 49ers are the real deal. And it's going to be interesting to see if, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo can keep, you know, being this game manager for them. I think that'll be the key for them going far in the playoffs. But right now, that running game, that defense, it's going to be hard to stop this team.
0: Yeah. And like you said, their running game is really good. And even the very first play from scrimmage against the Browns, Matt Breida goes down the sideline for like 70 yards. So they're very explosive, not only just in the backfield, but also in the perimeter as well. They have some some draft Twitter favorites and Debo Samuel and Dante Pettis. And of course, we can't forget about George Kittle, who is the best receiving option on that entire offense. So I'm really intrigued by this team. I love the way that John Lynch has built this team in a sense, even though I did have some questions about their secondary coming into the year and they really didn't address it in the off as much as I would have liked, but he's proven, he's proven me wrong just because they have some reliable pieces already. A killer is starting to come along and flash some of that potential that we like to see, or we've seen from him when he was at Colorado. Richard Sherman has really taken on the leadership role of this defense, but just watching some film on them earlier today, their linebackers are really, really good. Fred Warner and Quan Alexander are balling right now. And I think that's really what's been the glue to that defense. So I'm excited to see exactly how they finish, finish this year. And I think they definitely could finish atop not only th- that division, but also the NFC as well. That would not surprise me at all. But moving on to our final topic today, we're going to go down to Miami. We know exactly what's going on there. I don't think it's any secret And everyone was calling it the Tua Bowl (laughs) against the Washington Redskins this week, even though we know the Redskins already have or they're fully invested in Dwayne Haskins right now, even though they feel like he isn't ready. But I think this was the number one overall pick bowl, even though the Miami Dolphins still have a game against Cincinnati later on this year, I believe in week 15 or week 16, something like that. So we'll see what does end up happening with that. But. It's no secret what Miami is trying to do. They are trying to secure that number one overall pick. And that's not to say that players are going out there and coaches are going out there trying to lose on purpose. They're not trying to do that just because we've seen the interviews from the players. They were very upset and they felt as if they should have won this game uh, on the last second two point conversion that they failed to get against the Redskins. So they're very distraught with this loss. But I just want to get your overall thoughts on exactly what's going on in Miami and the whole idea of tanking and if you think it is worth it.
1: Yeah, you mentioned how, like, the players and the coaches were upset that they, you know, the Dolphins lost. And, of course, you're an NFL team, you lose, it's, it hurts. But do you really think Chris, Gere, Chris Greer was that upset when they lost, when they went for that two-point conversion and didn't convert?
0: Not at I, all. I don't think and then, so. Then Xavier Howard was somehow a healthy scratch after <laughs> yeah, exactly. playing every every snap <laughs> in the you previous know, and, week.
1: And Kenyon Drake, when he dropped that pass, the, I, I think Chris Greer was smiling. I, I, you know, I, I don't think he did it publicly, but I think when he went home that night, he was like, "Hey, we got it. We got him. Hey, we we won the two-a-ball. That's all that matters." But I mean, I when it comes to tanking in general, I I I, I think it's just one of those things where it's like. Obviously, you you want to win the game, right? You want to win the game, but at the same time, you don't want to put yourself in purgatory to where you know you're like you're consistently drafting in the 12 to 16 range, but you have no chance of like getting one. Of the, you're you are do not have a franchise quarterback. You don't have any you know cornerstones on your roster, and the Bengals have been that way for a long time. And now the Bengals look like they're going to be. In, Finally, in position to draft their successor to Andy Dalton, and finally get Zach Taylor, his guy. And the Dolphins, the same same sort of way, they've kind of always been in that 10 to 15 range with Ryan Tannehill previously. You know, drafted Christian Wilkins, drafting all those guys. Yeah. So now I feel like they will finally have their chance to get their guy. And it might be Tua, it might be Joe Burrow, it might be Justin Herbert. We don't know yet. But you know, I I think that Miami Dolphins are doing the right thing, and I do think they did the right thing by rebuilding. By trading Mika Fitzpatrick, you know they they might get a top six or eight pick from the Pittsburgh Steelers, and even if they don't have the first pick, they can at least package those to get their quarterback they want. So even though you know they won't admit tanking is a good thing, it is to give me the best thing for that franchise is to get that first overall pick and kind of do a full reboot of that team.
0: The Dolphins are really a dream job for a general manager right now, in my opinion, and I say the Dolphins are a dream job just because. You have a completely clean slate. Really, the only star player that they have on either side of the ball is Xavier Howard. Howard. And that's the only big contract that they have right now. And they're going to secure the number one overall pick just because I think they are by far the worst team in the NFL. And I think the Bengals just have more talent than them overall. And I think they're going to end up we – we're far from that point. But I think once it comes down to that game, I think the Bengals are definitely going to beat them in that game. But as far as this team, you have over $100 million in cap space. You have, I believe, estimated 12 draft picks going into the 2020 draft. So you have a completely clean slate. You traded Laramie Tunsil. You traded some other pieces as well just because you wanted to clean the deck and completely wipe out any talent that you have. So I think this is a full-on tank. But the hardest thing about tanking is that really replacing these picks with actual players, and that's something that Chris Greer has to nail, not only in this draft but also next year as well. You have the Texans' first and second-round pick also from the Laramie Tunsil trade. So they have plenty of ammo and I think he has to nail these. This is going to make or break his career. In my opinion, we've all seen with general managers, you really only get one shot and it's not like head coaches where you can be retread. You can get an eventual head coaching job elsewhere with general managers. I don't think we've ever seen a clean slate like this ever since Sashi Brown really built. I don't want to say built it from the ground up just because there was still some stuff on the Browns roster, but the Dolphins have completely stripped this thing down to the studs. And we've seen exactly what Chris Greer wants to do and how he wants to build this team up. He started off in the trenches last year, drafting Michael Dieter and also Christian Wilkins. So he wants to build this thing from the inside out. And it's no secret who they want number one overall and who their fans want number one overall. And that's two attack of Iowa. But we're far, far, far from that point. And I'm really excited to see how the how he builds this team up and where they exactly they finish.
1: Yeah, and when you just go back to tanking in general, I mean, that's more of a front office thing. I mean, the players, they're playing for their jobs. They're playing for their livelihoods. And the same thing for those coaches, man. The coaches and the players, they want to win every game. So don't think that the coaches and players are on this tanking train because they're not. I mean, they're, they're, they're human beings. They have jobs, and this is their livelihood, right? But for front office executives, I don't think Chris, Chris Greer or any of those scouting personnel in the Miami Dolphins are upset of what's going on right now. I think they want – they they know they have a goal to get their franchise quarterback to a tag of They have, And, you know, we talk about the Steelers pick and the Texans pick. They can package those picks to get back in the top five and get Chase Young or something like that. Yeah. And all of a sudden, with Tua and Chase Young, those are two cornerstones that you can ride on for the rest next ten years. So – I I don't think the front office is upset with what's going on, but don't think for a second that the coaches and players don't want to win every game. Because they do, it's their livelihoods, it's what's going to get them a job next year. Even if it's not with the Dolphins, they're auditioning for another team. So don't think about this as something that they're on board with at all.
0: It's definitely going to be interesting to see exactly what happens in Miami. And they're going to be the talk of the NFL draft just because they have so much ammo. And Chris Greer is definitely going to have his work cut out for him just because he doesn't have any talent. On this roster at all. And that's been evident so far throughout their schedule. But that is episode three. It is officially in the books of locked on college football. We have done an NFL roundtable for today. Our next show, we will get back to college football. We'll do a bunch of things. We have a really good schedule already laid out for you guys, but we don't want to reveal it right now. And I'll tell you one thing we'll, we're going to do some risers and fallers next week, on, or I should say next week on next episode. And we're going to preview some of the week seven or week eight, I should say, college football matchups. It's already hard to believe that it's already week eight in the college football season is moving right along. But for your host, I am Jordan Reed and also my co-host, Jonah Tools. We are the Locked On College Football Podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a five star review. Of course, thank you guys for listening and we will see you guys next show.